welcome back. This is episode two of The Chronic Sisters. You are listening to Jess and Sean. All right. So thank you so much for listening and for all of the support that we've had for our first episode. It's been overwhelming. And just first of all, I want to give a huge shout out to one of our listeners who I actually went to school with, um, Tim. Huge shout out to Tim because oh. uh, Sean, actually, I can't take much credit. I didn't do much at all in terms of the technological side of uploading. But Sean spent hours trying to get our podcasts live for you guys on Spotify and Apple Podcast. And, you know, we had a few... We few, had a couple of setbacks. A few setbacks, a few meltdowns, mm. and um, Tim came to our rescue. So Tim, what a legend. Thanks, Tim. Thank you so much, Tim. Um, really appreciated your time and messaging. And also a shout out to my partner, Zach, who also... He was the one that finally figured out how to put the RSS feed through to Apple and uh, Spotify. And without you, we would have no podcast. So thank you so much for that. Um, And we just wanted to, yeah, like Jess said, the support we've received from everyone has been overwhelming. And we're just very, very thankful. Um, And we've got listeners from... Everywhere. Everywhere. I know. It's so exciting. Sean messaged me and I was like, what do you mean? We had like, she said there was people in Canada and America and Ireland and England and Australia, New Zealand. I was like, wow, that's insane. Insane. And we are currently number 16 for Australian podcasts in the health and wellness section. So that is, we went from 168 to number 16 this week. So very exciting. And that's all for you guys. Like that's all from you liking, commenting. That's it. That's you and... We're just very, very thankful. And we were so pumped to do episode two. It just gave us what we needed to keep going. So thanks so much, guys. Yeah. And we're going to get into it. And I'm going to hand over to Sean because she has a few confessions to make. Yep. So I've got some fun facts for everyone. Um, And it is also a a fact check, really, more than anything. Um, So previously, uh, in our first episode, I spoke about how my mum found out about my diaphragmatic hernia. I have had the record straightened out for me um, by both my parents that it was in fact not how I said it was. Um, It was in fact, I had an ear infection, which almost makes it worse because we didn't know that something was wrong. So they took me to the doctors for an ear infection and they did just a general look over and they looked at my spine and it was curvy. So they sent me for an x-ray. Didn't listen to Sean's chest though. Sean has since showed me that x-ray. Mm. Uh, you cannot see one of her lungs. No. Um, and Sean's mum said this morning, oh yeah, they did the x-ray and they thought it was a tumour. Can confirm they're definitely bowel loops that you yes. can see in yes. her chest wall. So um, that was good. I'm glad glad you got an ear infection. Yes, me too. Thank you, ears, for yeah. stuffing up that one. Um, so yeah, so that was the first fact check. Second fact check, I didn't know the... Uh, percentage of Marfans. So I looked it up and it's one in every 5,000. Um, and you're right, way more common than I yeah, thought. Way yeah, way more common. Um, and that's from the CDC. Um, and it's a mutation of the gene FBN1, which controls protein in your connective tissue. And one in four people with Marfans is from a mutation like me. And the others are hereditary. So that is my fun fact follow up. All right, so I'm glad you clarified that Thank for you. us all. You I just wanted to, to keep You would have had to live with that. I know, like, I just, I need to be truthful. And this is a safe space. We had to ring Sean's parents, obviously, to clarify these facts. We rang Sean's mum and then we rang Sean's dad and yep. Sean, she said to her dad, like, we've just 
dad, I've just got to clear out some facts. And he was like, yeah, well, about the gurgling, because that's wrong. So I'm glad he called her out yes. on it. Yeah. And he also said he loves the show. So yeah. thanks, Papa Gannon. Thanks, Daddy Gannon. Um, all right, guys. So we're going to get into our next episode. We just want to put a bit of a disclaimer and a trigger warning out there, because what we're going to be talking this about this episode is quite heavy. Mm. Um, so today we're going to be talking about some medical trauma um and some experiences that we've had that have affected us quite significantly um we also just want to acknowledge that we have experienced the full trauma response to these horrific events that we've been through but today we will look back and we want to share it with you and we are very aware that we often use humor to uh, cope and with our stories and mm. our feelings. Um, so we just want to also highlight that what we are talking about is very, very real. And if you are struggling, we encourage you guys to reach out, whether that or not that's with your GP or with um, lines available to call, whether that's Lifeline or Beyond Blue. Yep. We just we want you guys to look after yourselves too. And possibly hearing our stories might trigger something for you. So we mm. just want you guys to look after yourselves and we will put in our show notes all the numbers and websites for those places available for you guys to reach out to um, if that's something you feel like you need to do. But strap in, it's going to be a pretty chunky episode. With We're covering quite a lot um, and we're sharing quite a lot about ourselves. So we hope you get to know us a bit more um, and where we've been and what we've seen. Um, and I'm going to hand over to Sean, who's going to tell you a bit more about this trauma response. Yeah. So with um, our trauma response, it's all about near misses. So like we said in the first podcast that we're going to be talking about our nine lives. So how we have potentially nearly died um, through our lifetime and through our um, experience with our chronic illness. Um, and so I did a little bit of research about it because it's very common the same way that we responded. So I actually wanted to know if there was a actual name for it of how you respond post having a near death experience and there is actually a emotional response and it's known as the survivor reactions and so it's like a set of potential emotions or mindsets that you get post a traumatic event and it can be like um, you have a preoccupation with the event you, like, you keep replaying it um, you have a loss of interest um in your life, in your hobbies, in your work. Um, you have a feeling of not belonging. You can be detached. Um, and you can also, it can also change your views on your entire life. And it can make you want to reassess everything um, that you have important in your life and reassess that, I don't know, that hierarchy event. And it also, I had the question, and this is a common response of, I shouldn't be here like this. I shouldn't, I'm on, I'm on borrowed time. Like I shouldn't be here. And I've had that to the point that I had to seek, um, psychological help because I was having PTSD. I was reliving experiences over and over the emotional, the smell, everything. So I reached out and I got psychological help with a therapist and I know how to cope with that now, but that's a real thing. And that I was looking through all of these like survivor reactions. And I was like, yep, tick, 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 tick. So I just wanted to n clarify that all of the feelings that you feel after in a response like that is legit. It's a real thing. Like it's written in the literature. And I think that when you are going through such a horrific experience and you are reliving it, you kind of do feel so alone. And like, should I be feeling this way? 
are these thoughts that I'm having very extreme? Are Mm. they normal? Is there someone I can talk to? Or surely, actually, probably there's not because no one else has had an experience like this. And I don't know, it's, it's very isolating. And we just want you to know that it's actually a thing. It's written. Mm. And these feelings are all normal. And they are extreme feelings. And yeah, we're going to go into that a bit more now. Yeah, so story time, which is why you're all here. Um, so I've got a couple of stories, naturally, because I have quite a few of them in my little sack of stories that I drag around with me and bring them out at very inappropriate times, I might add. Um, I don't read the room very well. Um, I'm not good at that. No. <laughs> because I forget that not everyone has the same like... Yeah, people are like, fuck, that's heavy. Like, I'm like, whoa, whoa like, that's oh, like... That I just, that's... I'm not dead though. <laughs> yeah. It didn't happen. But did you die? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't... Because I, I find it very funny um, because I find the light in things and that's how I cope. So people think that it's very sickening when I like have a laugh about it. So um, one of the times that I had my like near death experiences, I wasn't even aware of it until like a couple years ago. So when I had my spine surgery, um, I was eight years old. I had my ninth birthday in hospital, happy birthday to me. And I actually couldn't open my birthday presents because my cannulas were in my hand and my little sister thought it was the best thing ever because she got to open all my gifts. So two birthdays, birthdays, woo! because her birthday's in March and mine's in April. And so she's three years younger than me. So she would have been five, five or six. Um, And she thought it was Christmas come early that she got to open up all my presents. And there's a photo of her ripping open my presents. And I also couldn't blow my birthday candles out because I had a pneumothorax from the surgery. Oh, see, it's a nice <laughs> little chest strain and all. Yeah. So I, so part of the surgery, they had to deflate my lung to get all the bones and stuff out. And they brought me a little birthday cake. Thanks, mum. Thanks, granny. Put the candles in it. And I couldn't, I didn't have enough lung pressure to blow it out. <laughs> couldn't do it. So then my sister had to do it. And she thought, again, best day ever. How good is turning nine? Yeah. <laughs> I get to do it twice. <laughs> so also from that, I can't do breath tests. For the police. Yeah, I, I did know that about yeah. you. So yeah. I get very scared when I get pulled over because when they do the breath test, I don't have enough lung capacity to blow the thing, the straw. It's too hollow. It doesn't have yeah. enough resistance. Yeah. Um, so I got pulled over once and I don't drink. Um, and I'll explain why in a little bit, but I don't drink. So trying to convince someone that you're not drunk by saying, I'm I, not drunk. I don't drink. <laughs> makes you sound drunk. Drunker. <laughs> yeah. So a police man pulled me over. And then to add on top of it, I can't do the breath test. He's like, just blow. I was like, couldn't do it. Could not. He's like, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I couldn't. And he was like, okay, we're going to cheat a little bit. And then he put his finger Gave on the end. Some peep. That's yeah, so he nice. did. He put his little, his finger on the end of the straw and I could do it. And yeah. it came back zero because your girl's crystal clean. Um, so, yeah, so I get really scared now when I get pulled over because i got to then try and convince people that I'm not drunk. <laughs> you feel like, I couldn't even part my birthday candles when I was nine. <laughs> Just had a full meltdown on the side of the road. Like, <laughs> and he's like, no, it's okay. You can go. That's right, love. Keep, <laughs> Keep <driving>. going. <laughs> so anyway, so I had my back surgery done um, back in England and my dad 
was there. And so he sent me down to um, the hospital and we've checked the storyline. So I'm going to get it straight. I have video proof also. We'll put it on our Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have checked. With we have Papa checked. Gannon. So Papa Gunnan, he drops me off at theatre. Very emotional. Um, funny little chat for that. The nurse gave him surgical gauze to dab his tears away which scratched his face he was like next time i'm here can i please have a tissue <laughs> not surgical course please and thank you um so he gave me the surgeons went to the surgery he was walking around waiting for me and normally prior to this his experience was that after an anesthetic a nurse will come and say she's out of the theater you can go and see her in the recovery so he's waiting for this and Instead of the nurse coming in, the surgeon comes in, followed by the anaesthetist, followed by the entire team, which dad's like, hmm, that's weird. And so we were in a private hospital at the time and he was like, this isn't part of the service. Something's happened. I know we get a private room, but I don't <laughs> think I asked for the whole team yeah, to just say that she's out of surgery. So he's sat there um, and waiting for them to be like, yep, you can go see her. And the surgeon goes, it was quite challenging. Um, during the surgery, we had to give Sean some adrenaline. Um, and dad was like, uh huh. I don't know what that means. Please yeah. explain. <laughs> uh-huh where's um, my child yeah. where is she and then he's like yep so it was really challenging um but she's in the icu um we're helping her breathe blah 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 and dad's like oh thank god she's out she's in icu because at that point they didn't lead with she's okay he was just like waiting for this like what is happening unbeknownst to me i'm asleep out of it don't have a clue what's going on turns out later after the fact we've now worked out that I actually had an arrest in surgery and they give adrenaline to part of the response to restart a person's heart and cardiovascular system and whatever. Turns out the reason that my heart couldn't take it was I had a chest infection from the previous surgery. I had a superbug MRSA and then the surgery on top of it. So my heart Isn't just it went... funny? You now work in infection control. I know. Dirty, dirty gal. Dirty dog. <laughs> uh, it's full circle, babe. Full circle. Full circle. Um, life's weird like that. So my heart just went, nah, can't do it. And needed a little bit of help to get us through. So They also went through the front and back of her chest. So anterior and posterior view. Mm. So they're playing around with your heart. And yeah, your heart's just... gone like, fucking stop tickling me. Like, that's yeah, <laughs> you're moving stuff ah, around. Stop. So um, my heart just went, I just need a break. So I got put on life support for um, three to four days in the ICU. And a um, little bit touch and go during those times. Um, but... I didn't know this until my dad casually dropped in into conversation a couple years ago. So I didn't know that part. So the, the after response of that didn't affect me. It affected my dad and my family. And that experience was happening to them, not to me. And it wasn't until I'm an A, a nurse and B, two years later that I then go, dad, that's like pretty horrific. Adrenaline's not supposed to be given unless it's an emergency, like that's bad. And so I had to kind of process that. I was like, whoa, I didn't realize the severity. Like I knew I was sick after surgery, but I didn't know the severity of it and why it had happened. So that didn't affect me at all. I didn't have a response to that. But then 
Flash. I think it's I think it's also so important that you say it's had no effect on you, but you did acknowledge it had such an effect on your family. Like yeah. seeing Sean's dad today on FaceTime and how much the trauma has affected him. Yeah. You know, he was talking about Sean's open heart surgery. He was like, oh, love, but then you had that oh, walk in the park. Like <laughs> no father says their child's open heart surgery is a walk in the park, but you can just see like how much trauma can affect someone and change their response change, to things yeah like yeah. He, you know da- like Chad's dad was like well oh, this dad can do anything I'll take any surgery on yeah. now like I've lived through that so it, it was a huge huge moment but it affected Sean's family more than her yeah if that makes sense for that yeah. time yeah and, but then the one time that did affect me was recently say recently it was when I was 23 years old I had a stroke so I had a full-on ischemic stroke so a clot from my mechanical little ticker that we talked about last week. I wasn't looking after myself. I wasn't taking my meds properly. Badass, 23. Uh, Chronic patient. Fuck the system. I'll do what I want. I'm fine. I'm untouchable. Nothing's going to get me. It's not going to happen to me. You guys are just stressing. Spinach isn't that bad. Well, I did a health kick. I was like, I'm going to get fit and I'm going to eat spinach broccoli whatever i want whatever the freak i want and do you know what sometimes i forget to take my medication oh it's not a big deal i tell you what it is a big deal because my blood thinned uh no, wasn't thin either way, way <laughs> thinned was very not the thick. issue we were very thick we were thick Viscous. but we were not thick in the legs and the buttocks <laughs> we were thick in the cardiovascular system so we got real sticky and we decided that we being my body and my cardiovascular system decided that we'll make a little clot around the valve that is tick, tick, ticking. And which it, you all heard. Which last we all week. heard. Um, we're all aware of it. Don't keep going on about it, Sean. Jeez. Um, so it flung off the clot and it traveled around my body and it decided to get lodged in my brain. And so I wake up, went to the toilet. I was like, oh, I feel a bit weird. Then I get back to my bedroom trying to get dressed. And I'm trying to get dressed and then my right arm just doesn't work. And it like isn't responding to any of the commands that my brain is giving it. And I'm like, that is strange. That's inconvenient. Yeah. I got places to be. Super inconvenient because I still try to get dressed. Yeah, I know. I put my shirt on. I got shit to do. I've got to go to work. So I put my shirt on and I was like, hmm, this is problematic. So then I get my phone because I'm supposed to be picking up my friend for work on our way to work. And I get my phone, I dial her number and... We are nurses at this time, guys. We yeah, are, we're nurses. We're so nurses. Would, yeah, we're, so I'm working. Once again, Shan is not putting herself first. Nope, not. I need to get to work and I need to pick up my friend Courtney. So we I've are driving. Drive one-handed. Yeah. So I call her and I'm like, I'm trying to say, Courtney, I can't come into work. I'm not being able to pick you up. I go to talk. I can't talk. No words. I'm just like, I can't. I can't and just repeat it over and over again. And I'm like looking at my phone, can't figure out what's going on. And I start to panic a little bit, call for my mum, And then my stepdad runs in. I'm like, that wasn't what I said. And he looks at me and he can see that my face is dro- dropped like a stroke reaction. And so he comes over and I'm looking at him like, what the heck is going on? And he tries to give me a two litre bottle of water that's next to my bed and like tries to give it to me. I can't hold it. And I'm like, I don't want it. And he's like, here you go. I was like, I don't want it. And he's trying to give it to me because he's trying to see if I can like lift it and I can't. So I'm like, I don't want the water. And he's like, no, no, keep trying to drink. 
And so I don't drink because my face is dropped. My arm doesn't work. So he's like, right. He calls my mum, scoops me up, takes me to the hospital. Turns out I'm having a stroke. I've got a full blown clot to the side of my brain and it's blocked off the bloodways to feed the control part of my right side. And so being a nurse, I know once they tell me I'm having a stroke, because I know what's going on. I can I can comprehend everything. Just nothing that I want to say comes out at all. I just keep swearing at people. It's like <laughs> it's so bad. But again, we're coping with humor. Yeah. She had Tourette's. I did. Mid-stroke. Yeah, mid-stroke, just full on Tourette's <laughs> syndrome. And so my mum to the and point. My mum was so embarrassed. She was so <laughs> embarrassed. That's the best part of the story. I know my daughter's almost dying but I just need to apologize for the way she's speaking to you all <laughs> she doesn't normally swear this much so I know I have a bit of a potty now sometimes but I went full-on full-blown sailor at these paramedics doctors I just like ah! like just just <laughs> couldn't deal was just swearing at them and I was just getting so aggravated that I couldn't say what I needed to say so anyway as a nurse you are taught about stroke and how to deal with stroke from a medical perspective. And you have like a golden window of opportunity. So it's four hour window to like prevent disease after the fact. So like to prevent full on further, like morbidity. Yeah. Also mortality. We don't want you to die. Yeah. Your rate of death and ongoing disability really significantly increases after that four hour period. Yeah. So you want to get treatment within those four hours. This happened at 6.30 in the morning. By the time I get to the stroke hospital in the center of the city, it's now breaching 7.30, 8 o'clock. And then because of my comorbidities in Marfan's being connective tissue, they're umming and ahhing backwards and forwards as what they're to do because there's a risk of them making it worse by retrieving the clot because of the... Um, consistency of my vessels so they could nick a vein nick an artery and then I bleed or clot again and they don't know how I'm going to cope under the anesthetic etc etc so then they ask me what do you want to do bearing in mind I can't talk and she's got Tourette's (laughs) yeah so I'm like oh well I don't know and they're just giving me all this information of like um, you know it's very high risk you can make it worse Um, you could die on the table um and then in my head, I'm like, all week it could work, right? Like that's an option. But in my head, I'm like, all I can see now is if we don't do something, I'm stuck like this. And the rehab afterwards is huge. My life is over. Like the life that I know is done. So I don't know. I call my dad because <laughs> dad helps me decide many of my main life decisions. And so he's in Hong Kong at this time. And he's like, <laughs> What? I don't know. It's like, can I have like a minute to make this decision? Like, <laughs> I need to think like, about it. I know it. time's precious, but like, holy shit, this is my child's life we're talking about. Yeah. Re- having to relive the trauma from the first time Sean arrested. Yeah. Like, Bearing in mind he's in Hong Kong and I'm in Perth, Australia. Yeah. So that's that's a flight away. And this was pre-COVID times, obviously. So we yeah. could if fly you might, around. Don't mind, Dad, if you just make this life or death decision yeah. while you're not here. While you're just getting ready for work. Can Thanks, you do that? Dad. Thanks. Have a good day. Ta. Speak to you in a minute. Um, but luckily for him, I had made the decision by the time he had rung back. So they went in and did a, um, what's the thing when they go, they do a femoral. Yeah. They do an x-ray. Uh, an an angiocardio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Angiogram. 
So they, oh, sorry, I cracked my knuckles then. That was disgusting. So sorry. <laughs> Whoa. So sorry. Um, so they did an angiogram and they took my glasses off. And so I can't see without my glasses. It's very, very blurry. And so he said, can you see on the screen the clot? I said, I can't see. Because by this time, the medication that they'd given me had enabled me to be able to say like short sentences. I was like, I can't see. So he started to explain it to me and it was quite a large clot. It had blocked off the main, one of the two main brachial arteries in my brain. But the compensatory vessels had been feeding my brain, so it was great. And he said, it's quite large. And I said, get it out. At this point, my friend who actually works in the hospital had heard that I was in hospital and come down and I can see the outline of my like one of my best friends and she's terrified crying I'm on the angiogram table and I just throw up some shuckers <laughs> to her babe you're here Damn, I'm here babe <laughs> what's up like full on to this day she cannot believe that I just threw up shuckers while having a stroke <laughs> <laughs> Thing. traumatized so sorry Ali I love you oh <laughs> thank God. you for coming oh, to Ali. see me <laughs> while I was having a stroke and then I received the love with throwing up a shuckers and yeah. traumatizing her again very sorry for that again sorry that my response is comedy <laughs> <laughs> but not really sorry because you'd be bored with it yeah sorry sorry not sorry so anyway I wake up and it all has gone well because I've told them to get it out so I go under and at that point, I realized I haven't said goodbye to my family. I haven't said goodbye to my mum. And they put me under and I start to cry. And all I can hear is the anesthetist going, it's okay, I've got you. And I go to sleep. I wake up and I'm fully back. She's a healer. She's good. She can talk. She can text. It's all back. It's ready to go. Only thing is, I've still got the femoral stent stuck in my femoral artery because they couldn't take it out during surgery. And I would like to say you would definitely want it taken out while you're under anaesthetic. It's not nice. Oh man, that was the most pain, pain I've ever yeah, felt. Yeah. That was awful. And they couldn't find meds to give me as pain relief. That's good. They just tried to do it. And they had a, a um, spasm. The artery? What's it called? Come on. Yeah, spasm. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> my brain doesn't work sometimes. Oh, God. <laughs> Spasmed. They couldn't get it out. So I had to take three or four times for them to get it out. So now I'm on warfarin, we're going great, got all of my speech back. The only thing is that I, sometimes I can't find words as you've just witnessed. But she's like, oh, my vocab just used to be so good. So and good. Like, now it's not. I can tell you now that Shan's vocab is like a thousand and one times better than mine. She'll say something and be like, ah, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Sorry. She's Sorry. Like, oh my God, I had so many better words before. I did though. I did. She's so eloquent still sometimes. She does have a potty mouth, but she's so yep. eloquent with her language and her vocab. It's I have so many friends with amazing vocab and I just don't, I like it. So ochre. Is that the word? Yeah, maybe. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Ochre, like I'm Aussie. Yeah. 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 That's what you want. I'm an ochre gal with an ochre vocab. You're welcome. <laughs> we We've got to balance it out. out. I love Stop. that. Stop that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, back to me. So <laughs> we were in hospital for only a couple of days and the registrar trying to discharge me. We're going great. As the registrar is trying to discharge me, I feel a pop in my uh, leg. So my femoral artery just ruptured into my thigh and the doctor is trying to discharge me. So I'm now currently bleeding into my leg 
and uh, I'm in a lot of pain and they get me, scoop, the, the registrar calls in the staff development nurse from the ward, comes in, sees that I've obviously had a rupture. She picks me up because I'm not very heavy at that point, picks me up, pops me on the bed, deck chairs me flat and then just punches me in the groin and then it's on. A proper punch. Oh, yeah. As much pressure as she could provide. Yeah, she is punching through me to hit the floor. It's the most pain I've ever felt. Like, it was awful. And then she grabs this poor Reg's hand, who is in shock and in panic, grabs the Reg's hand and swaps her hand for the Reg's hand to then go and get this, like, prehistoric device, which is a clamp, and they blood pressure cuff this pressure onto it then you have to lie flat for 24 hours before they can take it off and she said to him, she's like don't you dare fucking move yeah don't move so this reg is now in shock panicked and scared that she's gonna make me die well but bearing in mind i'm shouting like i'm not being polite about it it is sore so i'm like ah! and <laughs> my poor friend uh, um, my poor friend Daniela is at my bedside. Like she comes in during this whole thing and she just sits next to me and just starts praying. Like <laughs> she's just starts praying. Oh, I know. And all I can hear is her praying next to me. And I, all I can hear is her. And I'm ca- trying to concentrate on her voice while all of this pain and madness is going on around me. And eventually they just knock me out and I'm... <laughs> Still in pain, but knocked, like drugged to my eyeballs, can't see, <laughs> out of it. Long story short, they didn't stop the bleeding. They had to put some medication in there, thrombin to put that together. That's a whole nother story of medical incompetence at some points. Um, but it More worked. Trauma. Mm. It worked though. We're all good. And I went home. And when I went home, I went to my GP as a follow-up and he said to me, that's a lot that's happened. Um, I will let you know that you shouldn't make any life-changing decisions in the next 12 months because you are going to feel very different about your life post this event. And I was like, yeah, whatever. You don't know me. He did. He knew me very well um, because he's a very good GP. And it literally did. It changed my perspective on my entire life. I was like, all I could think about was what could have happened what should have happened because I had a full stroke. I lost complete use of my words, complete use of my right side. I should have been a vegetable-esque afterwards. The fact that I am fully functioning after, I was like, nah, something, this shouldn't be happening. I'm here for a reason. You do, you do. I got the exact same thing. You should not do anything, no life decisions for the next 12 months. But you do, you're like, it's like Sean going through all of this and she comes back and you, you have this weird thought like, I don't deserve to be here. Why did I survive this stroke and so many other people don't or so many other people don't return to the quality of life that they had before. They don't never return to their baseline. So why has this happened to me? And because this has happened to me, fuck, I got to thrive now. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, should I fucking, like, I'm saying, oh, should I do my Everest? That sounds good. Like, 
you do. You're like, well, if I've been given this opportunity and a second round at things, yeah. I'm just going to be so insanely extravagant in yeah. my life decision making. Yeah. And you think everything is a waste of time if you're yeah. not doing it. Like, and it feeds into that, like, yeah. I must do everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's Why addictive. Am I working 100 million shifts. I've got other shit to do. Like, yeah. I've got to live. Yeah. yeah. And it's addictive. And it's like, I need to change everything. And you just become this, like, I'm going to be the best person ever. Yeah. And it's like this euphoric, like, you see life so differently. And then it goes back to normal. And then you lose that drive of life of and like. You're just left with the trauma of it. Yeah. All. You're just left with, holy shit. What the fuck just happened to me? Yep. Yeah. And I've got to deal with that whole yeah. navigation after that and how people treat you and, you know, relationships and stuff. But now I've received help. So I went to a therapist. I am. It, the good things that happened from it is it made me realize that I'm not untouchable. And I am so lucky that I have survived that event. And part of me of it still is I've been given a second opportunity to really do it properly. So I now take, I have a very clear schedule of my meds. I check my bloods regularly. And when she does, and I'm like, um, can you please tell me what your INR is? What yeah. is it today? So, so Jess's mum is actually a cardiovascular, like a cardio nurse yeah. um, who her job is actually to, literally do what I wasn't doing checking blood levels checking, checking in, your, making sure people are making the correct lifestyle choices yeah, and eating right and blah 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 yeah. so now I've got many people checking that I'm doing it um but she goes she's like it's not due for a check on till Thursday I was like no it was Wednesday it's Wednesday night like, so yeah, can you do it now please yes it's fine we're in range we're all good so it's it changed that perspective for me to actually put some serious levels to it and because of it as well I was quite scared afterwards like I was scared that I was I was it was going to happen again and warfarin if anyone is on warfarin they know it is a very hostile medication in that it can fluctuate from the smallest thing like if you get gastro it can affect your levels if you eat too much spinach or broccoli or garlic or cheese it can fluctuate you cannot eat cranberries or grapefruit forget about it that's like kryptonite so everything in your life stress lack of sleep lack of water it affects everything and I was petrified that it was going to happen again so it 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 gave me the boost to like concentrate on my health to a point that I'm more strict with it however it hasn't given me the self-care that necessarily I should do because I'm like I've got it to a base level that I can function yeah but from it I can control as much as I can so I don't drink alcohol anymore like at all haven't drunk since um I was 23 so I'm 29 now so going on six years it's rough changes your social life changes how you value parties how you value dinners I leave I have three drinks rule if you if a drink is if a drink is spilled around me or on me three times I'm out that's my line I drink alcohol and that's still a rule yeah so that's a line for me yeah third drink I'm out bye I'm not at everyone's level anymore I'm a party animal I've got the yeah, to yeah. keep going you would never know you would never know totally you are, she's very outgoing she's the life of the party fun and my birthday this year she smashed nine juice boxes yeah boy and everyone was like god shit shan's a lot of fun and i was like you know what she's had nine juice boxes that's no. a sugar high that's what that is <laughs> and so i was then known as the juice box girl so in all the photos i've got a juice box hmm. i love them she does and every time i'm sick she's like 
Oh, juice will fix that. Oh, yeah, get a juice box. Juice I gave boxes. you. Um, did you not like the juice boxes I, did, I gave I you? I drank all of them. Exactly. So you're welcome. But so that that's kind of how it's affected me, and it's changed my life, and I value my life. Um, but I I still want that euphoric moment that I had. I I because I read back. I wrote like a blog post, like really early after I had my stroke, and the charm that's writing that post is super stoked on life and it's like I'm never gonna let this feeling go of putting myself first and putting me as a priority but life comes back to that monotonous churn and you forget that like little spark that you had post traumatic event and I think this for us or it is for me is trying to get that spark naturally without the trauma of dying (laughs) Not huge extremes. <laughs> Not let's like, just, yeah. Let's just chill a bit. Yeah. Still. So still get that like fight for life and that love of life yeah. and that respect for life yeah. without nearly dying and traumatizing yourself. Yeah. So that's where we're kind of that's balancing out right now. That's sister. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. All right. So I'm going to now talk about my little near-death experience. So Go for gold, mate. Um, and... A bit where I, where I'm at at the moment, so because you're very fresh, post. I'm fresh, and I think that's it might be quite a helpful thing for people listening if they've just gone through something quite fresh. Like Shan said, she did seek out therapy, she did seek out help, she journaled, she blogged, she did things, and now we're looking at Shan six years down the track. Um, but for me, mine all happened this year. So I'm very much still in the early stages of my trauma. I can feel now, even myself reliving it and talking it, I can feel my heart rate has gone up significantly and my palms are sweaty. So I would just like to acknowledge that I am nowhere near where I would like to be in coping with my trauma and also my trauma is turning into quite a big medical investigation. So I'm very aware that this is not over for me Mm. and it's not going to be over for quite a long time. Um, So I'm just, just making myself aware of how I'm feeling at the moment. Um, Even though Sean's heard this story like a fucking thousand times, but it is hard reliving it and retelling it. So what happened to me this year was I finally decided to put myself first and deal with my endometriosis that I knew I had, that I had an operation for, or eight years ago, back in 2013. Yeah. And they would say, go on the pill. And, you know, she was shit. She wasn't an endo specialist. I didn't get the proper education, but you'll be fine kind of thing. So I did that. I went through my hectic breakup. I focused on a lot of other things. And I thought, 2021, I'm going to focus on me and get myself back on track. So in January, I finally had my tonsils out after having like 18 months of tonsillitis and being really sick. And I was like, I'm going to get over that. And then I'm going to focus on my endo. So I was just literally ticking things off the list. And then in February, my beautiful puppy, who is the love of my life, decided to rupture his ACL and he needed a knee recon, which meant he was in a um, crate for 12 weeks. So I was like, okay, um, I'll focus on that. And when he's a little bit better, maybe at the four week mark, I'll go in for my endo because then I can take two weeks off and still be at home with him because he'll need me, but I'll need myself. Can't lift him. I don't know why I did it at the same time, but I was like, <laughs> minimal time here. Let's do two things at once. Naturally. Let's fix me and my dog and then that'll all be well. Mm. So I had my first operation uh, in April. Um, sorry, no, March. March was the first op. And 
I went to a new specialist. I had done a lot of research um, and I decided to go privately with my private health insurance because otherwise the wait was going to be 18 months and you know, I'm a gal that's busy with minimal spoons. And I was like, well, no, I'll use my private health so I can get this done now because this is the time frame I need to do it. Mm. Um, I had the operation. I came out of the operation. Um, it was horrible for my mum, a bit like Sean's parents were saying today on FaceTime, but the waiting. And so, you know, it's only going to be an hour and 15 minutes and she'll be back by like three or four and like you'll see her at visiting, at, like still within visiting hours and all will be well. Um, I didn't get out until quarter to eight that night. Um, and when I woke up, I was like, oh, that was a bit rough. I woke up in recovery and I just, I remember rolling over to the recovery nurse and said, was it bad? Because when I first had my op eight years ago, it was bad on my left side, not so much on my right. And there's two ways, which we'll probably talk about in another episode, but to remove endo, you can either burn it, which is called an ablation, or you can excise it. And I kind of talk to people and describe it as weeding. So you can either spray your weeds <laughs> Well, it makes so much sense, doesn't it? For the non-nurses. Oh my God. It's like weeding. You can either spray oh them or burn them off and it, <laughs> and it looks good for a little bit or you can like properly dig the weeds out and then they don't grow wow. back in that the That just takes spot. like making you, putting your vagina as like a garden to a whole new level. Yeah, my fucking garden, garden, garden of, of Eden. Garden of Eden. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. But isn't that such a good one? I think that's That good. is a great, that, Thank look, you. that is great. So it I had just my caught weeds, me off guard, that's all. Sorry, I had my weeds burnt back in 2013, but this time I was like, no, I want them dug out so I get, you know, longer, longer period of yeah. time with no weeds. Weed free. Weed free, right? <laughs> so anyway, I rolled over to the recovery nurse and said, how bad was it? How bad was the weeds, man? And she just looked to another one and she was like, we can't tell her. She needs to wait to see the surgeon. It was really bad. I was uh. like, bitch, I can hear you. I know that I just got extubated like two seconds ago and I might be like, Sean, not getting all my words out, but I fucking heard that. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So then I was like, can someone tell me the time? No, no one listened to me. And I rolled over and I was like, holy fuck, that's quarter to eight. My mum will be having a fucking meltdown and visiting hours close at eight. So if someone can get me on the ward ASAP to see my mum, that would be great. Mm. Anyway... I get to the ward. My mum's poor thing. She's like, uh, just beside herself. And I was like, do you know anything, mum? Did the surgeon speak to you? Mum was like, no, darling. Like, I don't know why it took so long. Are you okay? I was like, I'm fucking hungry. Uh, But I don't know. I don't know. And I asked the girls if it was bad and they pretended they didn't hear me. And then they spoke to each other, even though I could hear them saying it's bad. Who's going to tell her that she needs to wait till the surgeon comes. That's good. So then I was like, rang my bell. I was like, excuse me, the surgeon coming tonight. No, he's gone home. Cool. I'm going to live with that trauma for 12 hours and uh, just guess what happened. I was like, I was like, to mum, I was like, I hope all my bits are still in there. Did they take anything? I mean, I don't know. Wow. So anyway, and then I looked at my belly and it was like this flubbery mess. Mm. Like, like I looked like a waterbed. Like you could push one side, it would ripple across. And I was like, that's off. Anyway, <laughs> that's not that's not what I looked like before. I actually was quite fit, and yeah. now I look like I got fucking flabby in theatre. Like <laughs> Six what happened? Hours. What the fuck happened? Anyway, so then um, the next morning, the surgeon did come around, very casually, dropped the fact that I had severe endometriosis. It was stage four, deep infiltrating um, with bladder and bowel involvement. I was like, well, that kind of makes sense because one of my biggest things since September of last year was I started nighttime weeing and I was like to myself, I've either got fucking diabetes mm. but nothing else made sense. I wasn't drinking more. I was like, just cut the herbal tea before bed and you'll stop weeing. No, no, I was still weeing all through the night. I had a really irritable bladder. have never had a UTI, never did have a UTI. I was like, something 
is not right here. Mm. So it was like, it was all over my bladder. Um, and you'll read on the Instagram post, but it was also wrapped around the tubes that went from my kidneys to my bladder. Um, mm. And so what actually happened, it was all over my kidney, it's my bowel, everywhere. Um, but the part that, so the tube that drains from your kidney to your bladder, your wee. So you're making your wee in your kidney and then it drains to your bladder and then you release it, right? So the tube was covered in adhesions and endometriosis and so much so that it had adhered to the outside of my vaginal wall. And in order to release that, so it sprung back into place, he had to make a deep incision to remove the adhesions. And unfortunately, during that, I suffered a vaginal wall perforation. So he admitted to that and said, I just put a little stitch in there and all is well. So I thought, fuck, that's a bit of an inconvenience. But I signed up for the full weeding experience, Mm -hmm. wanted it to be dug out. That was a risk I had to take and everything was fine. Mm -hmm. So I recovered from that, recovered with my dog, took minimal time off work because that's me, maybe 10 days. So that's actually quite good for me. Um, And then I went back to work and then day 17 post-op, I was coordinating the intensive care unit and I was on the round in the morning. So when Sean was saying like Sean's dad about the overwhelming amount of doctors, anaesthetists, nurses, coordinators, I was in that team. So I'm in that team every morning and I go around to all the patients. We make a plan for the day. I was uh, on patient six and I'd gone down six bed spaces and I was standing there with my clipboard and I'm in charge. So people are looking at me (laughs) and I was like, holy fuck. And I thought I'd wet myself. And I was like, have I just lost all bladder control? And it was like my waters had broken. Can't say I've had a baby. I mean, I've seen it in movies. I've seen my friends do it. But that's what it looked like. That's what it felt like. That is what it felt like. And I was like, what the fuck? And so I raced to the bathroom and I was like, my God, let's see if this is like we, like what is it? Have I got had a bleed post-op? I'm 17 days. I Mm. shouldn't have. Anyway, it was like water, like a full-blown 200 mils of water, clear as, I was like, okay, that's not we, it's not blood. What the fuck is it? <laughs> but again, because I'm me, I was like, right, do I have a pad? No, I don't. I couldn't put anything, I couldn't insert anything up there because I had a lot of trauma. So they're, they're like, mm. that's a, don't touch that. That's for a, a no-go zone. No-go. So I was like, oh, I know we've got those really, like, because we work with children, a lot of our children haven't gone through menstruation yet but we only have like the big hardcore like Mm. super pads at work super pads a lot of the time they were used for our mums who have newborns and we're caring for the newborn so for their postpartum bleeds and I was like looked at it I was like that's what I need (laughs) so I took one and I put this super pad on I was like better get back to that round hey so I joined back in for patient seven and I finished the day this leakage freakage continued oh yeah all day all day. Mm. And let me tell you, so it was the week before Easter. So this was um, the day before Good Friday. Mm. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, and so anyway, I was like, that's annoying. But I was rusted on the whole of Easter. So I was like, oh, fuck, like there's no other coordinator. I'm just going to be right. So anyway, I wore these super pads and I worked through super the whole pads. of Easter. And I was like, oh, shit, this isn't good. By Easter Sunday, I was like, look, mum, this is still happening. What mm. is it? I'm on all the endometriosis pages and I was kind of like, it's like a support system at work mm. and I was like hello guys does anyone else have post-op watery fluid pouring out of their vagina it's not related to my bladder I don't know why I have no control of it 
help a sister out. Mm. And I was like, Jess, if you're an ICU nurse and you can't work it out, it's probably bad. Like it's probably <laughs> not good. It's probably not normal. No. Anyway, everyone else was like, oh my God, no, think you should go to ED. And I was like, oh, that's dramatic. <laughs> no, I shouldn't. Anyway, so lame. lame. I was like, God, these people suck. Like their advice sucks. Um, anyway, so long story, got around to um, just after East Monday. So it was Tuesday. I'd emailed my surgeon and said, ha this is happening. SOS, what is it? Um, I was again coordinating intensive care and he rung me and he just said, you need to get to me now. And I was like, Oh, I can't because I'm the only coordinator. I'm a busy girl. And mm. he was like, you need to come now. And I was like, okay, well, can you tell me what it is? And he said, oh, I think that perforation that happened has split back open. And I put a fluid called adept fluid into your peritoneal space. And it is a litre of clear fluid. Um, and your body naturally absorbs that over a month. But in this case, it's taken the path of least resistance and it is now pouring out of your vagina. And I was like, okay, Okay, that doesn't sound great. I looked around, no one was able to coordinate. I said to my manager, sister, you're going to have to hop on the floor because apparently I have a big hole I need to deal with. (laughs) So, of course, she hopped on the floor. Everyone got around me and I just, everyone was like, can you drive? I was like, well, I've been coordinating 12 hours just the last four days of this happening I don't think I'm yeah. at, I don't think I'm dying she'll be right I'll be fine so I get there he was on the phone he said look I'm just going to have a look at it um but I think what we're going to have to do if you can fast from now Jess I was like I just ate my yogurt and muesli he was like it's okay if you just fast from now we're going to go probably into theater tonight or tomorrow so again my trauma response is triggering like oh my god is it going to be more damage what's going to happen mm. anyway I get there and this is where I struggle a bit but it's probably for another episode yeah. and stuff. Um, but what happened was I went in and consented for a look to see what had gone on. Um, and he came in with all these utensils um, and said, we need to do this now and I can fix this here. I'm not a gynae. I'm a paediatric ICU nurse. Like I don't know anything about bits. So mm. I was like, oh, God, okay. Um He didn't have a scrub nurse in there that day. So I ended up being the surgical assistant, the scrub nurse, helping open sterile fields because I asked for a chaperone at which he had to ask his receptionist to come in and be that person who was an older lady who was very tearful watching what was happening. And he was telling her off for opening things incorrectly. I'm like, doll, she doesn't have a nursing degree. Yeah, she's a receptionist. Yeah. Anyway, he had a look up there. He did not give me any analgesia, no sedation. Um, I am very open. I've got vaginismus and pelvic floor dysfunction. So Mm. my first two pap smears were done under a general anaesthetic because they could not view because my pelvic floor is so tight. So he tried with a smaller speculum and couldn't see it. So he put a 10 centimetre birthing speculum in there to which I was in an excruciating amount of pain and I had mm. tears just rolling down my face but thought well shit Jess like you have to fix this now mm. um he stitched me up internally with five stitches I felt every single thing it was so high up it was higher than my left hip bone and he had both hands trying to stitch a hole and I had a crying so receptionist awful trying to console her. So that was a horrible experience. Mm. But he said, all right, you're all good. I think I've covered the hole. 
I think I can see it. Keep in mind when it originally perforated, he viewed that through my abdomen, through a large scar through my stomach. And so now he's gone up internally and he thinks he can see it. You'll be right. You'll go back. Do you want to go back to work? I couldn't stand. I couldn't walk. I didn't have a support person. Mm. I was like, no, probably not. The receptionist was crying, gave me some Panadol from a bag and a lemonade and said, can I call your mum? And I knew my mum was at work. And so my dad started ringing and he was like, you are not driving Jess County to pick you up. Like what you've been through is disgustingly traumatic and I don't want you to be unsafe driving home. Mm. So that all happened and he was like, you'll be right for work tomorrow. Went back to work and I was okay for 24 hours. The next day I was in my other role. Um, and I was talking to a patient and their family, a heavy conversation about end of life care and the same thing happened. So I flooded again in a patient's room during a conversation and I was heartbroken that I had gone through an extensive amount of medical trauma for, and the problem wasn't fixed because he thought he could cover the hole. Um, so I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to have to go through all of this again, or I'm going to have to go under. And like, anyway, it was horrible. So I rung him. He then put the fear of life in me and said, you need to leave work again. Like, it's really inconvenient when you're working to be like, can you just go? I'm like, oh, not really. I'm trying to get family home for end of life care. Like, Mm. come on, you dickhead. Anyway, he said, you need to have a CT, a contrast CT, um, because I'm spoken to my colleague and we think we might have actually nipped that tube and that that's urine leaking into your peritoneum. Okay, guys, Cool. I would have been dead by now. So I knew yeah. that that wasn't a thing. Most other people wouldn't. But I said, oh, that's not what's happening. And I wouldn't be alive, but sure. He's yeah. like, well, we need to rule it out. So just get your mum, who's also working, mm. to ring around and just book you in now for an urgent CT. So I rang my mum because I couldn't ring because I was with a patient. She left her patient. She was ringing around everywhere and managed to get me in for a CT. So I left work, went for this CT. I've never had contrast before. Plot twist. I'm allergic. That was good. Started vomiting. That was fun. Um, Had the CT. He was on the phone at the time, looked at the live CT. What do you know? It was fucking fine. Um, So he put me through some (laughs) of that for just a lull, really, for his own peace of mind. Anyway, I got home that night and the plan was to go... uh, He's an absolute shit man um, and he was going on holiday. So decide, he rung me and said, I'm not going to fix this until Monday week. So that would have been 10 days because it was Friday. I said, I can't leave like, like this, pouring yeah. out fluid. Um, and he was like, oh, like you're an anxious, annoying patient pretty much. And fine, I'll do it tomorrow morning on the emergency lift let, list and then drive to Denmark for my holiday. So that was good. Um, So we had to be at the admissions at 6am. So my mum said, well, how about I stay at your house and then I take you to the hospital in the morning just to save some time. Now, I don't know if that's a mother's intuition. I was like, Ali, fine, just pick me up in the morning. But holy hell, am I glad that my mum stayed at my house that night or I probably would have been dead. So at about, I couldn't really sleep. I felt a bit sick. And at 3am, I started to vomit and vomit and vomit and faint and vomit and have a rip roaring temperature. And I have never in my whole life felt so sick. And I looked at my mum and I said, I am too sick to go to theatre today. Mum, I'm going to die on the table. I can't go, but something is wrong. And I think I'm septic. I think I have an infection. I'm really, really, really sick. And mum said, would you like me to call an ambulance? 
And I said, if you can get me to the hospital like now, like if we go right now, no, mm. but potentially yes. Yeah. So she rung dad and dad flew over and... Not actually fly. He drove he over. Drove, he drove, <laughs> six drove fast. Minutes, <laughs> six minute drive. He drove over um, and he put me in the car and the three of us went to the hospital. Now I was booked for a planned admission. Um, so I did, obviously not through ED. There was a bed for me on the ward and I was going in for theatre. And I said, I'm too sick for this. So I rung my surgeon. I said, I need to go through ED. Something is wrong. I need a proper team to look at me. And he's like, that would take too long. I've already got a bed for you on the ward. Just come here. And I was like, well, if I'm there, I want blood cultures. I want bloods. I want you to mm. do everything. Like something's, something's wrong. To which he asked my mum if I was vomiting if because I was anxious about the surgery. Stop it. Um, yep. He said I was anxious. I'm sure being anxious gives you a temperature of 39 too. Yet last time I checked, that was in the books. Not. Not. And so he said, yeah, I was anxious and that's why I was vomiting. My God. Um, he so then angry. looked at me and said, oh, you do look sick. You do look too sick for theatre. So I'm just going to go on my holiday. Oh. See you in 10 days when you feel a bit better, go home and then we'll do this. But Jess, it's a tiny hole. The vagina's a fantastic healer. And I bet you, your, I bet your mum five bucks that this hole will be closed by itself. So annoyed. And um, you're all fine. So I was like, cool, great. Um, anyway, what happened was over the next four nights, I remained in this hospital very fucking sick. You remained in the hospital and you were dying. Oh, uh, yeah. I was very sick. I was <laughs> begging for bloods. Like, can someone please do a gas? Can someone check my mag? Can someone do this? Can someone please give me some IVABs? You don't need IV antibiotics because um, the doctor said you've got gastro. Cool, 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 cool. Love that for me. Uh, so I got sicker. He did not hand me over to the appropriate medical team, just took off on holiday. So again, this is a Friday. So Saturday, Sunday, there was no nursing manager. Monday, the ward nurse manager came. And keep in mind, I was the difficult complex patient because I was on a um, birthing suite. So that was good. <laughs> Um, and she said, why the hell is this girl here and still very sick? No doctor knew about me. So a birthing suite uh, obstetrician, the nicest woman I've ever met in my life. We love her. We love her. So We funny. love her. We're so thankful She's, for her. We're so thankful, like a bit broken, just so real down to earth. She was like, right, love, tell me a story. Told him a story. She was like, I mean, I'm a simple creature, Jess. I'm very good at delivering baby babies, but... There is a big hole there that hasn't been fixed and you just showed me the fluid that's coming out of your vagina. You know a lot more than me and nurses are my favourite patients, especially ICU ones because you teach me. But I agree, that is peritoneal fluid coming out of your vagina and we need to get you somewhere else before you die. And I was like, oh, I never felt so validated in my life. Yeah. Like, we love her. We love her. But I was like, I've just laid in this hospital for four nights. Mm. It is the most isolating, depressing place you could ever be with set visiting times. My parents didn't leave my side during those visiting hours. But it's still all night from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. the next day. I was just laying there going, maybe I'm crazy. Like Maybe this, maybe he's going to give me five bucks because this is going to close by itself. Like maybe it's gastro. Like I honestly believe that. Like an educated intensive mm. care nurse believed them because I felt like a crazy lady. Anyway, she was like, you need to get out of here now. 
And I was like pouring this fluid out. He was like, before he left, he said, has the fluid stopped coming out? I said, well, no, because I'm laying down yacking my guts up. And he said, that's a good pressure test. If you're vomiting and it's not coming out, it's a good pressure test. I said, no, sweetie, that's gravity. When I stand up, it pours out. Yep. Anyway, so my mum was like finding these specimen cups and I was filling them. And they got cloudy over the days. And I was like, holy shit, this is peritonitis. Like, it should not be cloudy. No. I, at work, I would give antibiotics at that point. They were still refusing to give them to me because I had antibiotics. Uh, I had, sorry, gastro. So I was like, no, oh. you had gastro and you were allergic to the contrast. Was, that yeah, was why. Yeah, that was my diagnosis. That was your diagnosis. Uh, it actually was. Good, yeah. good, great. Um. Anyway, so she was an, an angel and I decided to ring around people I knew and I knew I needed to get to a different hospital and get back onto that theatre table ASAP. Um, they kept me in for one more night for imaging, for CTs, MRIs, ultrasounds to map where this hole was so they didn't have to cut me open unnecessarily. Um, and then the next day I was meant to go across to the hospital, patient transfer via ambulance. This surgeon took a hit to his ego and thought, I'll just discharge her and she can find her own way there. On my discharge summary, it said primary diagnosis, gastro. <sighs> the secondary problems was known vent, um, vaginal wall fistula. Treatment, he wrote, nil. I mean, you're not wrong there. But everything <laughs> I asked for, every blood that was taken, every drug I asked for, I paid for because I was a private patient. Yeah, so this naturally. was all unexpected. Mm. So I am still, it is July now, I'm still receiving bills from that admission. Um then recommendation, patient refusing my care and evaluation was, because you write in an ice blah thing, it's just an acronym, um, patient refusing my care, wanting to be transferred to a different hospital. But because he then had discharged me, that meant I had to find my own way to mm-hmm. another hospital. So wheelchaired out, my mum put me in the car and I presented to this hospital where his role was to call the emergency department, to call the other surgeon and say... Jess is seeking a second opinion. This is all her paperwork. He didn't do that. The nurses had caught on by now that I wasn't going crazy and I was sick and they had actually photocopied everything for me. So thank you. Very thankful for them. Mm. We also had many uh, unprofessional conversations in the room, myself and him, him driving back from his holiday to beg me to let him operate on me again. Mm. I was never letting a man touch me ever again. Nope. My trauma, uh, no man will mm-hmm. ever touch me. Nope. So I was like... Anyway, that's another story for another podcast because yeah. it's full on. So I went to this to the second hospital. They listened straight away. Mm. And by 7 o'clock the next morning, I was on the theatre table where they found my bowel protruding through the hole and it was wrapped around my left fallopian tube. So I was potentially hours, days, I don't know, away from having a bowel resection and losing my left side. Um it was adhered with infection. I had litres of washout to wash out the infection. Mm. I did have pelvic inflammatory disease, so a big infection in my pelvis, and I was put on IV antibiotics, and I remained in hospital for another three to four days. They were incredible. I can't fault them. They saved my life, and I was not going crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the discharge summary for that was very, very different. Um, and so now I'm under that team, and they're amazing and wonderful. But my trauma of potentially I was I had that you know people say like impending doom Mm. I had that I was like I'm really fucking sick something is wrong and no one was listening to me so for me my trauma around not being heard and 
it's terrible, but trust in the medical system, it flew out the door. Mm. I mean, it flew out the door the second he violated me with two hands up there and no sedation analgesia and not fixing the problem. Also in the last theatre report, it said that they had to remove his infected stitches and that they were nowhere near the hole and they actually had to use some of my bowel fat to patch the hole. It was so big. So my trauma around that has really affected my trust in people. I have such bad PTSD now. Um, I need ongoing physio, um, obviously, for the surgical site and the repair. And I did lose a lot of my core, but also for my vaginismus and the pelvic um, dysfunction, which I've ignored for a very long period of time. And I decided this year and I really got around it, Mm. but she shares an office with him. And I have driven there once before. I couldn't get out of the car. Yeah. I couldn't go to the operation. I, sorry, the couldn't, operation. I, couldn't, I couldn't go to my appointment because the man who did my operation was, there. was in the same um, space. So unfortunately, I haven't been back uh, to the physio because I'm not dealing with that very well. Um, the reports, lawyers, like it's been huge and I can't really escape it at the moment. And then I do and then I ignore it and then I stop. And then I hear other horrible stories that women have been through and I'm like, no, I really need to do this so that other people don't experience what I went through. Mm. I also like thinking back, I think about, holy shit, if that had happened to someone else, they very well could have died. Who wasn't educated yeah, in a medical so I, field. Yeah, so I was too sick to advocate for myself at the yeah. start. I was too sick. But I'm very lucky I have a critical care nurse mother. Yep. And she's fierce. Like Oh, she's fierce. She's fierce. Like she on month she was calling consumer advocacy. She was calling the CNM. Yep. She was like, yep, yeah, she's fierce. She's fierce. I don't have that fierceness, but Mom's I have there. the knowledge. Mm. So we're a great combination. Yes. But my knowledge, I was too sick. So I think that if I wasn't able to advocate for myself when I was able, and if I didn't have my mum, and if that happened to anyone else, mm. Someone could have died. I also think that if I wasn't strong enough to stand my ground and literally listen to him beg me, telling me he was the most amazing surgeon in the world and that he can fix it with one little stitch up my vagina because I'll be relaxed when I'm in theatre. Oh, my God. If I let him do that, which any other woman I think, yeah, if he guilt trips saying, I've dragged my whole family home for you to do this for you. I came back mm. from my annual leave from a wedding for you. I think that ability to guilt someone who's naive without medical knowledge mm. and that, I don't know. I, I, I honestly think if that man ever touched me again, I wouldn't be the same person. I'm so glad that I trusted my gut. I'm so glad for the team that I'm under now. Mm. I, I've never felt more safe in my life in that operating theater. There was hundreds of people in that room because I all obviously wanted to see it. It's not a common thing. Yep. I've never felt more safe that there were so many people looking at my hoo-ha. I'm like, <laughs> Do you want to look? Do you want to look? Come in. Yep. Come in. Do you want Everyone. another consultant? Bring them in. Teach them. Teach because what I went through was just horrendous. And anyway, so that was, I think if I stayed at the original hospital under the original doctor, I don't think I actually would be even healed by now. I no. was I was on triple ABs for a month, antibiotics that is, um, for a month when I got home to yep. prevent further infection. I was monitored very closely with weekly bloods. Um and I am very lucky. But like Sean touched on, you have this stupid euphoria. 
I could have fucking died and I didn't. So let's do heaps of sick shit. And (laughs) yep, I'm on sick leave, but I continue to do stupid things and renovate my house because that's what I like to do. And you just do, you're like, I'm going to book a holiday. I'm going to do this. You're not because COVID. (laughs) Um, But I really wanted to do extreme things. And uh, the GP I saw also said, do not make any hectic life decisions within the next 12 months. But hey, this has come up pretty quick. Uh, so if I can, I can just suck on that one yeah. for a little bit. Um, but yeah, this, if, uh, yeah, this, I don't know. We've done so much. We were thinking like it's been less than a month since yeah. we've put this idea to the people. Yeah. And it's been huge, yeah. huge learning curve. But yeah. yeah, so that's kind of my trauma. And I am in the early phases of processing that yep. um, and seeing therapy and blah, blah, blah. I'm in the very, very early stages. And like I said, I'm going to have to relive it a lot because with medical reporting and speaking to his insurance company and reporting him to ARPRA, which is a regulatory agency for health professionals, all of that is unfortunately my trauma is going to continue. But I know that I'm doing it not for myself. I'm doing it for other women. Like I don't want anyone else to go through that. Mm. That was the worst 10 days of my life. So let's not do that again, hey? Yep. So yeah, that's a bit, that's my little story time there. But I think like with that, you have an amazing family behind you and there are people that are going to support you through this. And I think it's really important to allow people to help during this next period because it's going to be rough. It is, it is. And shortly after I got glandular fever and that's what I'm recovering from at the moment but it was an almost an excuse for me to say I can't think about that now I can't deal with the trauma of that I'm not going to do with that because I'm now dying of something else so I didn't do that and my mom she fucking pushed me and pushed me and pushed me she's like just write it down Jess just write it down just write it down write down everything he said to you write down everything that happened write it down I was like yeah when I'm brave enough I will but no she pushed me and I did it but now I can park it because yep. all the facts are written down. Yep. All my medical records are there. They're yep. photocopied. And when I am strong enough, it's just a matter of pulling them out now. Yep. And so I actually, I found it really hard, but I said to mum, I'll do a day at a time. So yep. I relived day one of eight in the hospital and typed up everything that had mm. happened. And the next day I'd relive day two. But that's for me now so that I don't have to relive day one and two. And now even telling the story, all the days do blur. So I'm glad I do have all the hot facts down for when that does happen. And mum and dad, like Sean said, I have an incredible support network. They, I've not spoken to any lawyers myself. My mum has done all of that for me and she just calls me in when it needs to come, obviously, from the source itself. So very grateful for them. But yeah, it will be a bit of a long journey, unfortunately. But that's okay. But it, so when I called my dad this morning... So we had a bit of an emotional moment between all of us, me, Jess, and my dad, in that my dad was reliving the trauma from back when I was eight. So I'm 29 now, that's like 21 years ago. He still became emotional. And that's 21 years later. And he said that, he said it's still so hard. Yeah, to think about it. To think about it and to go back there. Yeah. So it, it, time makes it easier in that it becomes a memory, but you can still feel it and it can come out of nowhere, the the feelings and thoughts around it. So 
Thank you for sharing that, Jess. Yeah, and thank you, sister. And I know we've both heard those stories before. And I mean, Sean was one of the first people I shared that story with. I did touch on episode one, how Sean just um, comes all the time to my house to make me better. <laughs> that, Always. That admission and that period of my life was no different. So Sean kind of actually relived it day by day. And when I was too unconscious to deal with it, just phoned my mum mm. for updates. But yeah, uh, we want to make this space a safe space to be able to share these things with you guys. Um, so thank you for listening to mm. us. And one of our most vulnerable um, life experiences, I, that there's something that's really shaken us. And we want to thank you guys for listening and for being open and non-judgmental. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah, a huge part of us that, again, invisible chronic illnesses, no one can see that. No yeah. one can see what we've been through no one can see those stories Mm. no one can see looking at Shan that she had a stroke Mm. no one can see my large scars under clothes at work Mm. um so yeah thank you for letting us be seen through this episode absolutely um and I was just thinking Shan a few when I was again reliving it and kind of prepping for this ep thought about a few questions and there was a couple of questions I wanted to ask you because I was thinking about them myself Mm. but what did you during those horrendous weeks months of recovery being in hospital what did you realize was most important I know people like oh once you've gone through a huge life experience it almost shakes you and you kind of refocus but did you did you change what you thought was important or um yeah I did I I put a lot of energy because the last so for me, the moment that brings me back to what changed it for me was when I was going under the moments before I was like, this could be it. The first thing I thought of was my family and them in my life is the most important thing. And then my next of kin, like that next level of those friendship circles that put energy into me they were what's important not work not activities it was the moments with people and the connection with people so the connection of people and valuing that has changed for me yeah and then I guess like the second part of that question is kind of did your priorities change but you're just saying I guess yeah they did like yeah put more time and effort at first yeah the priorities changed immediately I was like live in the moment Sean this is it. Don't worry about it. Don't care about those things. And then, like I said before, life monotony comes back in and you move further and further away from the moment of that spark, that euphoria, and it becomes normal life again. And you get back into that same way of thinking. So yes, it has. And no, it hasn't. Yeah. At the same time. But for you, did anything surprise you? Because obviously yours is really recent did anything surprise you or did anything unexpected happen or that changed in your perspective yeah Yeah, I think like you said I definitely realized that the most important people were my family um and then you kind of the next tier down the next tier down I was seeing a guy for probably four months before this happened um and he didn't rock up for those eight days I was in hospital yeah and like yeah I, I know people have other things going on and he he did I don't deny that but that it and I was like hmm not sure four months into something that's what I want forever yeah so <laughs> bloody spoiler alert guys it's we're not together yeah. <laughs> 
oops. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was pretty big for me. That surprised me. I'm like, oh, if you can't be present now mm. and you can't be, love me at my worst, yep. no thanks. No, thank so you. that surprised me a bit. I definitely, my parents never, ever left my side. They are the best humans. Love them. On this planet. So it just really reinforced the fact that they are my priorities in life and they always have been. I miss my dog an awful lot. I did that didn't surprise me. He is <laughs> the most important thing in yes, my life. Absolutely. That that sucked. Um my brother, he's not good with hospitals, he's not good in that environment and he kind of felt a bit helpless and he couldn't he didn't come into the hospital to visit. That was a bit hard, not really because we still speak on the phone or whatever. So that was okay. Um the probably the thing that surprised me most which is probably going to lead into our next episode, but we're friends. So my closest friends, like Tessa was there holding my hair back while I was yakking my guts up on day one. She then went to Broome on day two and called every single day to make sure I was still alive. That doesn't surprise me. She's been around for 15 years. Sean was there all the time. There were friends that were checking in all the time, but there were a certain group of friends um, which we've kind of drifted from or apart these last probably 18 months or so, but they were very significant people in my life. We did uni, we did everything together and they have not checked in once. So mm. this whole year, since the 1st of January, been through a lot. We've just touched on that. Not one text. Just touched on that. We just touched on <laughs> what we've been through. Um, but they have not sent one text. They have not checked in once. That hurt mm. a lot and I said to Sean I was thinking about it when you commit to marrying someone the traditional vows are through sickness and in health I don't think friendship should be any different a real true friend should be there in sickness and in health and mm. when they weren't and when I thought god if that had happened to them I would be there in a flash mm. This friendship is clearly one-sided and we have different values. And I think that did surprise me mm. the most. And even last night, one of my closest friends, she's, she was really, really unwell. I cancelled my dinner plans with another group of girlfriends because mm. they completely understand because they are really amazing friends that would do the exact same thing for me. Yeah. So that I could be there and do a shan, cook her food, fill her yeah. fridge, <laughs> make eat, clean up her vomit, shower her. It was a lot. But mm. that's what I would do for yeah. a true friend. And so when people didn't reciprocate that and do that for me... That group surprised me. I think that was the, probably the biggest surprise Yeah. during that experience. And it surprised how much it hurt me. I was like, mm. Jess, fuck, you, you're dying. Like, you're <laughs> trying to die. Can you focus on that? And I'm like, oh, where are my friends I mean to me? Yeah. Like, that hurt. So that's probably my the biggest surprise. But, yeah, that we'll probably do an episode coming up on friendships, good ones, bad ones. Yeah. Um, what they mean. What they mean. Because this one was a heavy how to one. Be a good, how to be a good mate. Yeah. yeah, how to be a good mate, how to receive friendship. Because, um, yeah, we recognise that this one was a heavy one. Um, Probably not as funny as you all would have hoped. Yeah, so soz we'll, team, let it we'll, down. Yeah. Um, but know that we are okay. We are. We're okay. We're all right. We're working through it. Yeah. And that is, that's really important. We are working through it. We are yeah. doing things about it. Yeah. We're, we're not ignoring it. No. Anymore. Anymore. <laughs> nah. Had to nearly die to yeah. not ignore it. But we aren't ignoring it. And yeah. we're we're able to share it with you. Yes. Because we are doing things about and it. Because we want to both recognize that these things happen and they are awful. And know that also your 
awful event is awful. It doesn't have to be that you've had a stroke. It doesn't have to be that you've had sepsis. It can be that you were sick for a little bit or that you've pulled a muscle. It doesn't have to be life and death for it to be awful because it's awful for you and your life is what's important. So don't compare. I don't want you to compare yeah. your stories to we, ours. Yeah, we don't want you to listen and go, oh shit, that was so heavy. I've never experienced anything like that. Yeah. It's, that's not what and this episode's about. And therefore I can't think that my thing is bad because yeah. it absolutely is. And we just want to open up the space to be like, you can have your most vulnerable, awful moments and it's okay. And you can pick up again. And they will affect you. Yeah. They will affect you. Absolutely. So don't ignore that. Don't ignore those, the things that Sean talked about earlier on in the episode. Don't ignore the feelings of feeling like you don't belong, like you're losing mm. interest, like mm. you've detached from things. Acknowledge them, recognize them, yep. know that it's normal, but try and work through them. Don't ignore it. Because you can. And so to finish up a very, very heavy episode, we're going to do our quotes of the week. We're getting better at it, guys. I promise. I promise. So I've got this little book that I've had in my car um, and with me since 2008. And I received it from a friend of mine and her mum back when I was in England. And it's a Believe in Yourself little memento book. And it is from peterpauper.com. Um, and it's a beautiful little book. And as I was driving here today, I was thinking, what should my quote be? Um, because we need to get better at them. And I was listening to, uh, Michael Jackson, man in the mirror. And I was like, yeah, excellent song. Ask my brother to sing for you. He's actually quite good at it. Oh, okay. Maybe you can do it on the episode one time. Maybe. Um, so I was listening to that and I was like, yeah, like change comes from you. And I was like, you want to be the person of change. And then I had this little book and I was like, I'm just going to flick through the pages and whatever page I stop on, I'm going to say that quote. And let me read you the quote that I stopped on. It says, don't wait for the world to change, change it yourself. But don't make huge rash decisions in the 12 month period after trauma. Don't Absolutely. change that much, <laughs> but be the change. But be the change. So that's my little quote for the week. Jess, what's yours? Um, My little quote, not from a cute little book in my car. I just actually follow a lot of quote pages on the Insta. And this one came across me from a women building women empire page. And I was like, yeah, fierce. Um, And I read it and I was like, how fitting is that for our second episode? So it's quite a long quote, but it's more just a motivational speech by me, if you don't mind. Um, So it goes like this. Love your fucking life. Do the things that you've always been scared to do. Tell people that you love them. Talk to random strangers. Fuck it. Because so many of us die and no one remembers a thing we did. So make your life the best story in the world and don't waste that shit. Don't waste that shit. Don't waste that shit. And we're Uh -uh. not going to waste that shit. We're not going to waste that. And we're going to not waste it with you guys. And we are just so thankful for you all. And we want you to like, share, comment, subscribe. All of the things. Right. Because we want to move up from number 16 and it's going to be the best thing ever for us and for you guys. And we just love you guys so much. And thank you for listening. Um, And if you've made it this far, we appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for listening to a heavy chat. And like we said at the start of the episode, we will put those links to um, seek help and helplines in our show notes. So if this has triggered anything for you guys or has stirred up some emotions with you that you would like to deal with, um, please, please seek professional help. There Mm. is help available 24-7. And we are always happy to hear your stories. We know a lot of our friends um, have shared 
stories with us since hearing this podcast and if something's triggered for you or you just want to go oh hey I actually thought about this the other day we're always happy to listen to so look after yourselves look after each other and seek help when you should because yeah we do and that should be normalized absolutely all right guys have a good week we'll see you later thanks for listening bye, bye.